Yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And the train is building up ahead of steam. So grab your ticket. It's free. Get on board. This train will be picking up passengers along the way. Taking you on a sports journey. So, enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome to an edition of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, and what we're going to look at, we're going to dive into what to expect between Ohio State and Alabama in the CFP championship. And what we're going to do first is get Tim Tebow's take on this. So there you have it. That's that's what Tim Tebow has to say. So over the past century, only Michigan has won more football games than Ohio State and Alabama, and just three victories separate the Buckeyes and Crimson Tide. Ohio State has won 931 games. Alabama has won 928. The Crimson Tide have 15 national championships, while the Buckeyes have claimed eight. On January the 11th, Ohio State and Alabama will meet for only the fifth time in their storied histories. 
this time in the college football playoff national championship game. That game will be at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and the ESPN app presented by AT&T at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. The number one ranked Crimson Tide defeated number four Notre Dame 31-14 in the CFP semifinal at the Rose Bowl game presented by Capital One. Number three, Ohio State, then stunned number two, Clemson, 49-28 in the All-State Sugar Bowl. The Buckeyes won their last meeting against the Crimson Tide, a 42-35 Sugar Bowl victory in 2015. Here's everything you need to know about the 2021 CFP National Championship. Number one, Alabama. How Alabama got here? Playing a conference-only schedule because of the coronavirus pandemic, the Crimson Tide became the first team in SEC history to go 10-0 against conference foes during the regular season. It was the Tide's fifth undefeated regular season under Nick Saban. Alabama won each of his 10 regular season games by 15 points or more, seven by four touchdowns or more, including a 28-point route of then number 13, Texas A&M, 17 points over number three, Georgia, and 29 points over number 22, Auburn. Alabama's most difficult test was a 52-46 victory over number seven, Florida, in the SEC championship game, in which the Gators scored 29 points in the second half and piled up 462 yards of offense to nearly overcome an 18-point deficit. The Tide improved 5-1 in CFP semifinal games with their victory over Notre Dame on Friday. Alabama offensive players to watch. Wide receiver Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner. The senior is a Heisman Trophy finalist, and this week became the first wide receiver to be named AP College Football Player of the Year since the award was established in 1998. In the six games before the CFP semifinal, Smith had 53 catches for 955 yards and 13 touchdowns, while totaling 199 yards with a touchdown on eight punt returns. In the first 11 games, Smith accounted for 768 yards, 68 Accounted for 768 of his 1,511 receiving yards on yards after the catch. Alabama defensive player to watch, cornerback Patrick Sertain II. The junior was pro football focus's top cornerback in the FBS heading into the Rose Bowl and number 10 defensive player overall with an 87 grade in the first 11 games. According to PFF, Smith had an 86.3 coverage grade, which ranked sixth in the FBS and second in the Power Five. Before facing the Fighting Irish, Sertain had allowed only 18 completions on 43 targets over 460 total snaps. He had allowed a completion once every 24.2 snaps, which ranked third among FBS players. Matchup that favors the Crimson Tide. Alabama's wide receivers versus Ohio State secondary. Even without injured Jalen Waddle, the Tide's group of receivers is a matchup nightmare for any team. The Buckeyes held up well against Clemson's 
thin receiver receiver core, but they ranked last in the Big Ten in pass defense in the first six games, allowing 261.3 yards per game. The Buckeyes did a good job of taking Clemson's Amari Rodgers out of the game, but the Tide have more weapons. Individual matchup to watch. Alabama defensive coordinator Pete Golding versus Ohio State's QB Justin Fields. Fields put together the game of a lifetime against Clemson in the Sugar Bowl, throwing for 385 yards with six touchdowns in the Buckeyes' stunning route. Fields looked confused in earlier games against Indiana and Northwestern when he combined to throw five interceptions and was sacked eight times. He was pretty much flawless in every other game. Golding has been criticized for the Alabama defense's inconsistent play, and he'll have to put together a solid game plan to put pressure on fields. Alabama X-Factor. Kicker, Will Reichert. In the past, Alabama fans held their collective breath when the Tides kicker took the field in the postseason. Not this season. Reichert, a sophomore from Hoover, Alabama, was a perfect 12-for-12 on field goals, including a 52-yarder against Georgia and a and 73-for-73 on extra points in the first 11 games. He is a finalist for the Lou Groza Award. Alabama will win if the Tides' offensive line protects Mac Jones. Alabama's offensive line is a very is very good, led by tackle Alex Leatherwood and guard Deontay Brown. If the tie can protect Jones and give him time in the pocket, he'll probably do what he has done all season. His 3,739 passing yards were the most by an Alabama quarterback through the first 11 games, and he was completing 75.6% of his attempts with 32 touchdowns and four interceptions. What's at stake for Alabama? Alabama is aiming for its 16th national championship, the most in the AP poll era, and second most in college football history. Yale won 18 national titles from 1874 to 1927. Saban would win his seventh national title in the past 16 years, including six at Alabama. His seven national titles he won at LSU in 2003 would move him out of a tie with legendary tie coach Paul Bear Bryant for the most by a coach in college football history. So that's the Alabama side of things. Now let's take a look at Ohio State. How Ohio State got here? The Buckeyes didn't kick off until October 24 after the Big Ten delayed the start of the season because of COVID-19 concerns. Ohio State defeated two ranked teams during the regular season, then number 18 Penn State, 38-25 on the road on October 31st. And then number 9 Indiana, 42-35 at home on November 21st. Three of Ohio State's regular season games were canceled because of coronavirus issues. The Big Ten voted on December 9th to change its policy that teams had to play six games to be eligible for the conference championship game. 
despite not having 22 players, including leading receiver Chris Olave and starting linebacker Baron Brownie, the Buckeyes defeated then number 14 Northwestern 22-10 in the Big Ten Championship game to win their fourth straight league title. Ohio State offensive player to watch. While quarterback Justin Fields is the transfer who gets the most attention for the Buckeyes, running back Trey Sermon, who played for Oklahoma the previous three seasons, is equally important. The graduate transfer from Marietta, Georgia, has carried the load in Ohio State's past three games. He ran for 112 yards with one touchdown in a 52-12 victory over Michigan State. In the Buckeyes' last regular season game, then he had a school record 331 yards with two scores on 29 carries against Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. He broke the OSU single-game record of 314 yards set by Eddie George against Illinois in 1995, and his rushing total was the most ever in a conference title game. Sermon had 112 yards on 17 carries in the first half with Master Teague sideline. According to ESPN stats and information research, Sermon had 524 rushing yards in the past two games, the most in a two-game stretch by an OSU player in history. Ohio State defensive players to watch. Ohio State linebacker Pete Werner. He was the Buckeyes' leading tackler leading into the CFP semifinals and was instrumental in shutting down Tigers' tailback, Travis Etienne. Werner moved from outside linebacker to inside this season and had 37 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and one sack in the first six games. He's very good in coverage against tight ends and running backs and will be important in trying to slow down Alabama's Najee Harris. Matchup that favors the Buckeyes, Ohio State, Defensive tackle, Haskell Garrett versus Alabama center, Chris Owens. Garrett was shot in the face and spent two days in the, hosp- in the hospital in early September. The senior from Las Vegas wasn't medically cleared to play this season until only four days before the opener. He has emerged as one of the best interior linemen in the country with 17 tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks, and one interception in the first six games. According to Pro Football Focus, Garrett was the highest graded defensive lineman in the FBS with a grade of 92.1 before the CFP semifinals. Owens was thrust into the starting lineup when starter Landon Dickerson tore his ACL against Florida in the SEC championship game. Individual matchup to watch, Ohio State QB. I mean, cornerback Sean Wade versus Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. Wade opted out of the season to prepare for the NFL, but changed his mind and has been the leader of OSU's secondary. ESPN analyst Mel Kuyper ranks him as the fourth best cornerback prospect for the 2021 NFL draft. Wade was named an All-American by ESPN and the Associated Press, and he is OSU's first winner of the Big Ten's Tatum Woodson Defensive Back of the Year Award. Ohio State X-Factor, Fields, took a vicious shot to the ribs by Clemson senior linebacker James 
Skalski with 5.57 to go in the second quarter. Skalski was ejected for targeting, and Fields was slow to get up and looked to be in pain. He missed one play before returning to throw a touchdown to wide receiver Chris Olave for a 28-14 lead over the Tigers. He wore extra padding on his left side for the remainder of the game. Fields had been nursing a thumb injury, but he looked all, looked ready to go. Will the rib injury linger over the next 10 days before he faces the Crimson Tide? It didn't seem to bother him as he threw for six touchdowns against Clemson. Ohio State will win if the Buckeyes play like they played against Clemson. They completely dismantled the Tigers in the Sugar Bowl, grabbing a 35-14 lead at halftime. Fields was in complete control and utilized his running backs and tight ends to exploit Clemson's defense. Defensive coordinator Kerry Coombs put together a great plan to put pressure on Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, a Heisman Trophy finalist, and the Buckeyes will need to pressure Jones as well. What's at stake for Ohio State? The Buckeyes are 23-1 in Coach Ryan Day's second season. After waiting 34 years to win a national title, Ohio State can win its third since 2002. It defeated Miami 31-24 in two overtimes to win the 2003 Fiesta Bowl under Jim Trestle and then beat Oregon 42-20 to win the first CFP under Urban Meyer in 2015. So there you have pretty much what we would call tell of the tape. So as you listen to this podcast, feel free to leave a comment or message me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to Take a pause right here, and I will be back after these, after this word from my sponsor. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month. $4.99 a month or $9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com Dot com. That's www.cakeybums.com. www.cakeybums.com to enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A train. Hang on for the ride.
back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, and uh, this episode, I will have the privilege of talking with James Carr. As you know, we lost a legend in the city, and may as well say the state of Kansas as well, uh, on Saturday, the reported passing of Lafayette Norwood who was also the first black coach to ever coach in the city league when he took the Wichita Heights program, had the opportunity to listen to the drive with my good friend, Bob Lutz, and he had Antoine Carr on and Antoine gave us a, uh, tidbit that some might not have known that, the way he was able to get in, I believe Lafayette was at East High first, and it was due to a guy by the name of Everett Wessel that helped get him in the door. And that Heights program that won that state championship was also a nationally ranked team that had a cast of players, Antoine, Darnell, James, the one who we'll be talking to, uh, it was a team to behold. And even though in my era as well, we witnessed a team that won four championships, I don't even think those teams could would ever match up to that Wichita Heights team. And I think that's when the name Hollywood Heights was really born because that team had some players. Uh, Former Kansas men's basketball assistant coach Lafayette Norwood passes away. Former Kansas men's basketball assistant coach Lafayette Norwood died Saturday in Lawrence, Kansas. Norwood was 86 years old. A native of Wichita, Norwood spent four seasons as an assistant under KU head coach Ted Owens from 1978 to 81. In that span, Kansas won the 1978 Big 8 regular season championship, two Big 8 holiday titles in 1978 and 1979, and one conference postseason tourney in 1981 behind All-American Darnell Valentine, who was on those Heights teams, coached by Lafayette Norwood. Kansas posted an 81 and 38 record with Norwood on the sidelines and twice advanced to the NCAA tournament in 1978 and 81. Kansas, known as an outstanding recruiter in his stint at Kansas, following retirement, Norwood was a frequent attendee at KU home men's basketball game. In December 2020, he participated on a Ted Owens era reunion via a video conference hosted by Kansas athletes. Athletics and K Club. Norwood's coaching career spawned parts of six decades in multiple sports at both the high school and collegiate levels. A graduate of Wichita East High School in 1952, Norwood attended Cali College for two years before completing his degree at 
Southwestern College in 1956. In 1969, Norwood made history when he was named head basketball coach at Wichita Heights High School and became the first African-American coach in the Wichita School District. Norwood led Heights to a 109-56 record and a state championship in 1977 before being named an assistant coach for Owens at KU. Following KU, Norwood spent 23 years as the golf coach at Johnson County Community College in Overland Park, Kansas. He was also the Johnson County men's basketball coach for 10 seasons from 1982 to 1991. Norwood was inducted into the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame in 2016, the Southwestern College Athletic Hall of Fame in 1992, the Cowley County, the Cowley College Hall of Fame in 2002, and the Wichita Sports Hall of Fame in 2014. And what I'm going to do when I come back, I am going to have a player who played on those teams with Heights, James Carr. So I will be back, and when I come back, we will have James Carr on the phone. So stay tuned to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, $0.99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com That's www.cakeybums.com www.cakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my next segment of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. And as I led in a while ago, we was talking about some of the history of Lafayette Norwood, who just recently passed away. One of the, I would have to say, the best coaches and the first African-American coach ever to grace the city league. Had the most dominant team. And I know some of the youngsters that went during the Perry Ellis days, they probably think that that was the best thing they've ever seen. But you have to go back to 1977. You had James, you had Antoine, you had Doc, you had Darnell Valentine. But the one that stirred the drink was the legendary Lafayette Norwood. So, James, tell us, what was your experience like playing under Coach Lafayette Norwood? Basically, just a pleasure to play to know what I mean. We knew when we uh, took the floor that we were better prepared than everyone else. Uh, so, I mean, we pretty much knew we were going to win 90% of the games. 
Now, what's the difference between Lafayette Norwood, the coach, and Lafayette Norwood, the man? They were basically one and the same. I mean, basically, Coach Norwood cared about us first as people. Uh, the one thing that he has still uh, in us is that he banked. It's a requirement for him to that we maintain a uh, three point or better to be on this team. And so, uh, also, the other thing that Coach did is uh, he uh, made sure that we carried ourselves well. You know, we had to wear suits on game days, suit and tie. Uh, one of the other things we all always had to get together on Sunday mornings and attend church as a team. And so what we would do is that we would rotate uh, depending on which player it is and uh, attend that person uh, church no matter what faith it was. And I'm glad you brought it up because I was listening to my good friend Bob Lutz on the drive and he had Antoine on and he was talking about that very same thing. So he said it didn't like he, like you said it didn't matter what the denomination was but y'all were going to go to church and that reminded me so much of my upbringing of course growing up the son of a pastor there was no negotiation about that it sounded like lafayette norwood had that same mentality was no negotiation and regardless of what your denomination is church is a must so run me through that championship season because i think the other powerhouse in the state of kansas was kansas city wyandotte so you don't have to run down all the games but when y'all hit that court that first game i'm pretty sure the first thing y'all thought was state championship and nothing else go ahead we came into that season with the other two because we had all kind of accidents uh uh, all kind of chances to uh, beat Kansas City wind up the year before. We had like a four-point lead with a minute left and we blew it somehow. And so we were de- determined coming into that season that we weren't going to let this happen again. And that we would take each and every game as, as you know, like to say one game at a time. And so that was our basic determination is that we, we were on a mission. And that was from the, the previous year. Now, we had a couple of different challenges, uh, uh, particularly with uh, Wichita South when they uh, had Ricky Ross and Roger Speed, uh, Michael Sims, Tim Barr. I mean, they were, they were some tough players, but, uh, the, the, you know, just like really every game that you was challenged because we had a bunch of tough players in the City League uh, East with Chris Boyd, yeah. uh, the Pace Brothers at West. Uh, the, the bales at Kate, uh, at Bishop Carroll, and I'm on the phone. And so, uh, you know, everybody sort of, but, you know, like I said, the main thing is that we wanted a piece of wine out again. Because the one thing that we left us settled is if we had a big wine out, we would have got to take on a bigger Holland Park in the Grand State, and uh, we've been sat on that. Okay. Now, that Kansas City Wyandotte team that y'all beat, who were some of the known players that they had on that team? Uh, Hello? No. 
Which team were you talking about? The what that Kansas City wind out team that y'all beat. Who were some of the players that they had on that team? Well, I know they had Mike Marshall and Kevin Ross. I mean, a couple of players that uh, went Division One. Uh, the previous year they had Larry Drew. Larry Drew. That and was the two that basically said I threw was a two big man, so they were both you know, over six eight. So. Now, how was it that Lafayette had the collection of talent that he had on that team, that championship team, but was able to hunt it all in to where there were no big eyes and little U's because that Heights team was loaded. And like on some of y'all's yearbooks, it says never before and never again. How was he able to hound all that in? Because that was a very talented and very stacked. I even heard some people from back in the day say that y'all had a very unfair advantage over everybody else. Because, you know what, uh, for several reasons, I mean, we were all used to being stars from uh, the different junior highs that we had attended to. As a matter of fact, uh, I was never signed on attendant heights. Uh, I actually was, grew up Catholic and was planning on going to uh, to Cape Armacomo. Uh-huh. And so uh, I never had intention of going to high school, never wanted to go to high school. I was kind of like forced because of the uh, the, school, the, the school district. And basically there was a petition that high uh, filed with the state of Kansas in order to force me to go to high And mm-hmm. so once we were there, you know, for him to uh, get all of us to play together, I mean, he had had to sit, you know, sit us down and basically tell us what our role was, and he gave us all the particular job, what, what we wanted to, do, what he wanted us to do, and how he wanted us to do it. So, in my assessment and listening to what you're saying, and also on some of the things I've read about him, would it be a safe bet to say that Coach Norwood was to Wichita Heights? What? John Thompson was to Georgetown. They say so, and and to me, what I kind of think compared uh, Coach Norwood to was kind of like the the book Coach Carter, because that was pretty much a description. Of course, Norwood, you know, how, how things came, you know, came about. Like I said, he had a strict regimen, uh, and. Calvin and I, uh, I was only in Alexander, and I was sitting there yesterday and holding a conversation about you know things and about what incidents that we we both had with him. And he was just a straightforward coach because, I mean, Calvin told me at one point when he first transferred over from Bishop Carroll that uh, one day he kind of like stopped running in the middle of practice. Mm-hmm. And so... Coach Norwood told Calvin, even though he was one of the star players, that if he ever quit on his, you know, on him again, that was it. And so, I, and so, like the, the thing with coaches, he really didn't care who you were. I mean, he he treated basically treated us all the same way, with a test in the court or that movement. So, now one of the things I heard Antoine say on the radio show the other day, he said that practices. And if I can reference Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice, not the game, but practice. Okay. But he said the practices were 
extremely hard because coach would make you run. He said, if one person came in late, the whole team ran and they would run some more. So how were the things that we were talking about uh, when Dad and I were speaking yesterday was that uh, one of the one of the times we had just uh, was a junior we had just uh, defeated East East to beat us the first time we played the second time we played we we beat them and so we had just left Coach's house at eleven thirty maybe one night and he warned us hey you guys go home get some rest I'll see you at seven a.m. in the morning which was a Saturday morning. And, you know, we basically thought, okay, we're, we're going to have an easy time. Well, a couple of the players snuck out, thinking that Coach Noble didn't know everybody in the city. And uh, it got back to Coach Norwood. That next morning, the first thing when we came up in the gym, uh, Coach Norwood told us, gentlemen, there'll be no need for basketball today. Oh. And we like, what? <laughs> and so he told us what happened. And he's like, the whole, the whole thing is, is that we're all one team. So if we, one of us mess up, we all mess up. So mm-hmm. it's time to get online. And I mean, don't wait around us so far. I was straight. <laughs> that was a lesson learned then, wasn't it? So, I mean, it, it just, it, I mean, in the, it, 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 I mean, at the end of the time, it's to be kind of funny because, uh, you know, a lot of players don't know Big John McCray, but you know, Big John was a big guy. You know, he's six four, about three twenty, and he uh, played offensive line for University of Kansas after he left high school. Well, John wasn't a quick, wasn't a quick guy, <laughs> and so after about an hour, just to see John continue to try to run, it was it was pretty funny. Wow, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall to see that run session. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I and I can only imagine how that would be because I had a moment when I was in gym class, and you might know this guy. His name is John Nash. He was my gym teacher. He was out there at Wilbur. And we was acting a fool because the cheerleaders came in, they had their uniforms on. So we back in the locker room making all this noise. And coaches had enough, and he came back there and shut it down. And then he called me out. He said, Smith, he said, you're going to get it for calling me by my first name. So he told us that the next gym class, we was having cake and ice cream. Cake and ice cream? Okay. Couldn't get quite get that. Well, the next gym class came. We ran. We did calisthenics, as they called it. We ran. We did some more. As a matter of fact, by the time we got through with that gym class, that hour, it wasn't no waiting to the next morning if we were sore. We were sore after that class. Lesson learned. We didn't act a fool like that, and I'd never call Coach by his first name, even to this day. I mean, like, hey, Coach Nash, how you doing? <laughs> so I can just imagine how that session went. So um, Best of luck, Mr. Pence. Uh, you know, back then, I just thought he was crazy. But now, you know, I understand there was a method to his madness because the one thing that I'll say that gave Heights an advantage, so like I said, the kids at the school were extremely talented. But the one thing is they, they didn't even work as close to as hard as we did. And so that's what probably gave us an advantage was our endurance and our stamina. And so teams couldn't go, uh, you know, four minutes with us. Absolutely. Now, 
you've watched a lot of basketball over your years of living. You played basketball. You have witnessed different coaches. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure you kept up with the Heights program throughout the years from Lafayette Norwood, Goose Dowdy, uh, even to their current coach right now. What's the difference in the coaching back then versus what you see today? And I guess the athletes would play a role in that as well, too. Thing that I see is uh, is the basketball is really not the same anymore. I mean, basically because they hold the ball a lot, and the, you know they sit back in zone defenses, and that's something that we never did. I mean, we were in your face. If you tried that, we were still going to be in your face. And so, basketball just to me is completely different. I I went to a couple of games, and I was astonished how the final score was like. 42 to 37 or something like that, because back when we played, one player might have 42. Right. Absolutely. Uh, what's the what's the mentality like now when you look at coaches today versus coaches back when you were playing? And Because, you know, we just recently had the situation with Wichita State and Greg Marshall. Could Lafayette Norwood in his prime back then, survive coaching in today's culture? Say that, that Lafayette could because all because the profanity and all of the other things that uh, some of these coaches get into, that was not Lafayette. Uh, you know, like I said, he was a third-third man. And so, you know, the Hebrew frame from some of those factors. Like I said, he was a tough guy. We knew where, where he was coming from, but, you know, he didn't really uh, use some of the things. And, and not to defend Coach Marshall, uh, but some of the things that, was, uh, that he was accused of, he wasn't actually guilty of because I was there when the situations happened and it was a little overblown. Uh, again, I wasn't there for all of them, so I don't know about all of them, but I can only speak on what I saw. But as far as Lafayette, I have no doubt that Lafayette would not only uh, coach, David Coach, right, uh, in that environment, he would excel. Well, all right then. Well, I want to thank you for taking out a few minutes of your time to join me on this podcast. And we will definitely have to do this again because I believe you provide some insight. And maybe one of these days we can get you in the original big dog. Sorry, Glenn Rice. There's only one big dog, and that was AC. So until the next time, I want to thank you for joining me on my podcast and we will have to do this one more time. So whenever you want to come on, I'm going to just say it like this. You have an open invitation. If there's something on your mind and you want to get on here, just let me know and we'll fire it up. All right. All right. Once again. Okay, Pastor. All right. Thank you. Once again, James Carr joining me on my podcast I want to thank him for his time and he provided some insight and he pretty much said some of the same things that i heard antoine say on the drive the other day when he was talking with bob lutz and it's just good to just get insight from people that actually played and coached and were coached by lafayette norwood uh lafayette went went to ku along with darnell valentine and i think it was epic to see somewhat of a reunion 
in that battle of New Orleans when it was KU versus Wichita State. And as they say, the shot that was heard around the world because it was Antoine Carr and the Wichita State Shockers, coached by Gene Smithson, going up against a Darnell Valentine-led KU Jayhawks. Of course, Ted Owens was the coach, but the assistant, Lafayette Norwood, which that game Wichita State won as it was held as the Battle of New Orleans and the shot heard around the world was the shot made by Mike Jones. But once again, thanks to James Carr for joining me on my podcast. And what I'm going to do right here is I'm going to take a break and I will come back with some more. You listen to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, $0.99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. So welcome back to my final segment, and... I am going to close out because, as you know, on last night was the Heisman Trophy Award, which was vastly different. It was done virtually, and it was also done on a Tuesday night, which is another odd thing because I don't ever recall in my lifetime of living the... Heisman Trophy Award ceremony ever being done on a Tuesday night. Of course, this is a unusual circumstance due to the virus, the pandemic that we're in, which I've heard one podcaster say is the dumbest pandemic of his lifetime. I have no say in that. However, some history was made because the 2020 Heisman winner, Alabama's Devontae Smith, becomes the first wide receiver to win the award since 1991. Trivia question, who was the one that won it in 1991? I'll tell you what, you'll see him on some of these game day shows. I'll go ahead and tell you, Desmond Howard from Michigan. Smith is Alabama's first Heisman winner since 2015 and third since 2009. The premier award in college football has largely been held hostage by quarterbacks and running backs for the better 
part of the last three decades. Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith changed all of that on Tuesday night as he was named winner of the 2020 Heisman Trophy, becoming the first pass catcher to be named college football's best player in 29 years. Smith beat out three fellow Heisman finalists, all quarterbacks, in Clemson's Trevor Lawrence, second Alabama's Mac Jones, third, and Florida's Kyle Trask, fourth, for the nation's top honor. In doing so, he is the first wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy since Michigan's Desmond Howard in 1991 and just the fourth ever at his position. With only Michigan cornerback Charles Woodson serving as an exception in 1997, a quarterback or running back has won the Heisman in 27 of the last 28 years, including 22 straight from 1998 to 2019. Smith's victory also breaks a streak of four straight quarterbacks that have won the award. Smith's Statistical accomplishments throughout the 2020 season have been unmatched and the impact he has made for number one Alabama has been immeasurable. He has tallied 1,641 yards and 20 touchdowns this past season, averaging 15.6 yards for each of his 105 receptions. Smith also scored a touchdown each rushing and as a punt returner, giving him 22 total scores on the year. He accomplished this despite not opening the season as the Crimson Tide's top receiver, with more pressure put on his shoulders following an injury to teammate Jalen Waddle. Smith is a primary reason why Alabama is set to compete in the college football playoff national championship on Monday against number three Ohio State. He is one of three tied players who received Heisman votes this season, along with Jones and running back Najee Harris. Lawrence entered 2020 as the preseason Heisman favorite, though COVID-19 issues limit his appearances. Trask was the Heisman favorite for the largest portion of the season at one point alongside Jones, but a disappointing finish in Trask Final two games saw his momentum fall sharply despite his FBS best quarterback stats. Smith is expected to be one of the top players selected in the 2021 draft. He has scored 43 touchdowns through the air and amassed 3,750 yards receiving in his collegiate career, averaging 16.8 yards per reception. The 2020 Heisman Trophy voting went down like this. Number one, Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Alabama, 1,866 points, 447 first-place votes. Number two, Trevor Lawrence, QB, Clemson, 1,187 points, 222 votes. Mac Jones, QB, Alabama, 1,130 points, 138. Kyle Trask, QB, Florida, 700. 37 points, 61 first-place votes. Najee Harris, running back, Alabama, 216 points and 16. Brees Hall, number six, running back, Iowa State, 64 and 6. Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State, 48 and 5. 
Number eight, Zach Wilson, QB, BYU, 42 points, three first place votes. Number nine, Ian Book, QB, Notre Dame, 38 and five. And number 10, Kyle Pitts, tight end, Florida, 24 and zero. So there you have it. Heisman Trophy winner. Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Alabama. And before I close this, let me just go ahead and give you this right here. Clemson star QB Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, the presumptive number one pick, declares for the 2021 NFL Draft. Lawrence ends his Clemson career as a national champion, Heisman Trophy finalist, and perennial contender. Clemson star quarterback Trevor Lawrence announced Wednesday that his college football career has ended and he will instead pursue opportunities as a professional. The presumptive number one overall pick indicated that he will declare for the 2021 NFL draft in a video released through the Tigers where Lawrence thanks fans, teammates, and coaches for his time at Clemson. Lawrence led Clemson to a national championship in 2018 as a true freshman and was a Heisman Trophy finalist this season, finishing second in balloting. He was instrumental in the Tigers winning three straight ACC championship and advancing to the college football playoff in each of the last three seasons. Clemson has played for the national title in consecutive campaigns, though it lost in 2019 to LSU. Lawrence started 36 of the 40 games for which he was active after being inserted as a starter early in his freshman season. He compiled a 34-2 record with a perfect 11-0 mark in Clemson's national championship season. His losses in each of the last two years came in the CFP. As a senior, Lawrence completed 69.2% of his passes for 3,153 yards and 24 touchdowns and five interceptions, plus another eight touchdowns on the ground. For his career, Lawrence threw for 10,098 yards over 40 games with 90 passing touchdowns, 17 interceptions, 17 interceptions, 943 yards rushing, and 18 rushing touchdowns. He finishes third on the school's all-time leading passer list. Though he previously left the door open for a possible return to Clemson in 2021, Lawrence had made it known that his intentions have been to declare for the draft. My mindset has been that I'm going to move on, Lawrence said in October. But who knows? There's a lot of things that could happen. With Lawrence's departure, college football loses not only one of his best players, but also one of his biggest faces following an unprecedented season. Lawrence was an ambassador for the issues facing college athletes in 2020. He was one of multiple high-profile players alongside Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields and Alabama running back Najee Harris to promote the We Want to Play movement in August when a college football season appeared on the brink due to COVID-19 pandemic. The junior was also a vocal advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement when it reached a fever pitch over the summer in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Lawrence leaves behind a powerful legacy as a player who not only helped Clemson win his third national 
title, but gave a voice to those who play the game. He is often one of the first names to be mentioned among college football's best players. And barring something unforeseen in the next few months, he is likely to hear his name called first by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell on draft night. So there you have it. Trevor Lawrence is moving on. And for me, that will conclude this episode of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. I thank you for listening. Once again, I thank my guest, James Carr, for joining me and giving insight on his playing days at Hikes and in particularly playing under Coach Norwood, letting us know who Coach Norwood was as coach and as Lafayette Norwood was as a man who had some strict values, but at the end of the day, he also cared about his players. It's not just players, but as men. So once again, thanks to James Carr for taking that time. Until the next time, take care of yourself and each other and enjoy the rest of this week. Be blessed.